So I can't find my Bible, which is, well, it's something. But we'll go ahead and get anyway, or go anyway. And uh, good morning. My name is Stephen. If you don't know me, I'm the pastor here. Welcome to Redemption. If this is one of your first times here, we're so glad that you've joined us uh, this morning. And our hope and prayer for you is that God speaks to you this morning exactly as you need to hear. Welcome to all of you watching online. Thanks for joining us there as well. We're in a series entitled The Bible, which is ironic, right? Because I don't have mine. As relevant today as the day that it was written. And what we've been doing in this series is I've been trying to build a, a defense, I guess, or an argument on, on why the Bible is as relevant today as the day that it was written, that it is culturally relevant, and that it is also personally relevant, that, that you can trust the Bible as it speaks to all of culture, and you can trust the Bible as it speaks into your own life. The Bible is as relevant today as the day that it was written. And today what I want to do is continue on in our series by looking at one verse, just one verse in a really big book. And this one verse is a piece of advice that was granted to a young leader. And that young leader's name was Joshua. Actually, I lied. Two verses, okay? Two verses. I did this last uh, sermon too. The first verse is found in Matthew. We're going to study one verse. We're going to look at two verses. The first verse is found back in Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Jesus is having a conversation with Satan, and he says, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus right there is obviously creating a, a clear metaphor between uh, well, he's comparing the, the body to the soul, and then he's comparing bread and how the, the body needs bread, the, the soul needs scripture. And this is something that Jesus was going to revisit often throughout the Bible, or this, this metaphor. And, uh, but here, what he wanted Satan to know is that he knew, Jesus did, that Satan couldn't tempt him with the things of this world, because ultimately, Jesus knew the things of this world aren't going to satisfy. And so you can throw those at me, but I know I need something better. I need the word of God. That's what Jesus was saying there. And so Jesus refutes Satan through this little statement, and he uses scripture in fact, Jesus actually quoted more scripture in the Bible than anyone else did. In the New Testament part of the Bible, Jesus quoted the book of Deuteronomy, he quoted other sections of the scripture often, showing even his reliance on the word of God, his understanding of the word of God. And so this is the beginning setup. And we'll revisit this at the end of the sermon. But Jesus, who is about to make his ministry public, is attacked or, or attempted by Satan, and he uses scripture to stop it. Now, about a thousand or so years before that, there's another leader who's about to step into the mantle of new leadership. He has the Hebrew version of the name Jesus. His name is Joshua. And Joshua is about to become the head of state over all of Israel, which is a really big job. And I only present that to say any excuse that we might have about being too busy or uh, too much going on in life or, uh, you know, we, we can't get our minds settled down to focus in on scripture. I think Joshua's excuse was better. He was the head of state. And as he's stepping into the mantle as the new head of state, God gives them some instruction. He gives them some instruction on this is how you can best lead the people 
And the instruction, I think, is of note. Like, what would God say to somebody who's about to step into this new role? In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it is this verse, this verse that we're going to study today. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Joshua's taken over the mantle of leadership and God looks at him and says, and read your Bible. Read your Bible as you step into this new role. Keep it close to you. Look at it over and over. Let it be what comes out. Now, this book of the law, when that was spoken to Joshua, would have referred to the first five books of the Bible. We know it as the Pentateuch today, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, or the Torah, the the books of the law, as they were later studied. Paul, who was a great studier of the scripture, uh, as a great young Jewish up-and-coming leader uh, would have memorized these first five books. Jesus, we think, probably also had them memorized. That's why he quoted them so much. And so to Joshua, the instruction was, go back. Now, Joshua actually plays a cameo in some of the first five books of the Bible. His name's mentioned a couple of times. But what was God telling Joshua there? He's saying, I want you to revisit the book of the law. Go back to the beginning when I created the heavens and the earth and be grounded again in the truth that I am creator over all things and that humanity has been made in my image. Go back to Genesis 12 and and see how I called Abraham out of nothing and he was faithful and he was counted as righteous because of his faith. Go back to, before that, Genesis 3, when, I, uh, when God made a promise of a redeemer, that even though sin had broken into the world, that God would redeem the world through a promised savior, of which at the time Joshua was taking over, they were still waiting for. In fact, what Joshua was about to do was to lead the Israelites into their promised land. He was about to fulfill the promise that had been made hundreds of years prior to Abraham. And God was saying to him, go back and look at those stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And then when the Israelites went into captivity and then how God had freed them through Moses. Go back and revisit those. Now, it would be years later where we would begin to understand one of the reasons why God told him to do that. See, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 would write this little verse in chapter 3, verse 8, and in essence, what the verse would say is this, that in the story of Abraham, God was just showing the gospel that would become. That the entire Old Testament, the book of the law, and everything that was happening was a foreshadowing or a snapshot of the good news of Christ. That written into every part of the scriptures, every page was a picture of the gospel. Jesus coming in his salvation that he would bring. And so he says, go back and, and, and remember this book of the law and the, and the law that was written, the Levitical law and how they were supposed to act and the sacrifices and, and how they be, were made holy again when they sinned and how the, the, the community of Israel was supposed to be set up. He says, that book of the law, those those five books and all that I've previously instructed God is saying, Joshua, root yourself in that. 
Now, as we study the rest of Scripture, because another 34 books were written that became our Old Testament, and then there were another 27 books that were written that became our New Testament, as we study this passage in Joshua today, and as we look at the entirety of Scripture and we see the uh, continuity between all of it, and we see how when Jesus came to earth, he quoted the Old Testament affirming its validity, not just the book of the law, but also the other 34 books, And then after Jesus, Paul showed up and he started quoting Jesus and he would refer to um, these letters that were written about Christ and then Paul would write about his letters and Peter would affirm Paul's and there was kind of this consensus being built. Later, this would be known as the canon of scripture. And so for today, when we read this and it says this book of the law for Joshua, it meant the first five books. For us, it means the entirety of scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. I think there's 21 chapters. There are 22. Forgive me. We should read that one too. From beginning to end. All of it. All of it. And all of it what? This book of the law. This Bible. These Scriptures shall not depart from your mouth. Shall not depart from your mouth. What does it mean that they ought not to or shall not depart from their mouth? First, it means that they should be readily available. That the scriptures ought to always be readily available to to Joshua and to you. And by the way, the word you is used over and over that, that this is a, a call to you. It's not a call to, um, uh, you need people in your life who meditate on the scriptures, you, your parents or your grandparents or, or your pastor or somebody else. No, you, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I mean, it's over and over again. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It should be readily available. That when when life needs it, when you need it, when your soul needs it, Scripture is what comes out. See, Jesus also said this, from the heart, the mouth speaks. From the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said those words. And what he was teaching is this, that uh, how you understand what's going on in your heart is by what comes out of your mouth or by what actions that you do. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It shall not depart from your mouth. Why ought it not to depart from your mouth? Because it is what is in your heart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua, because in your heart you love me with everything that you are. And so, of course, this is the only thing that could come out of your mouth. It must be always readily available. In every moment in life, then, the scriptures, the truth of them should come out. And so when you're worried, when you're anxious, Jesus' words, do not worry. Do not be anxious. For what will it do? Begins to come out. For me, Psalm 107.5 says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And I remember a season of life where I would just read that verse every single 
morning until I memorize it and it could come out of me. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. That I would uh, almost speak it until it became existence and true. Like, I'm just going to keep saying this verse until, Lord, I believe that you're the one who's going to satisfy me. That I, that I don't have to chase after all of those other things to satisfy my life. That you satisfy the longing soul. And you will fill my soul with good things. Good for me things. Good for my future things. And I don't want anything else coming out of my mouth because I don't want anything else in my heart. I want this, these words, this scripture, readily available. Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the first thing I think it means, that it should be readily available. The other thing is that it is, when he says, it shall not depart from your mouth, it, being the scriptures, shall not depart from your mouth, that it is the only truth that we ought to grasp. That no other truth ought to come out of our mouth. The only truth that ought to come out is the truth of Scripture. No other truth should come out. And so God's instructing Joshua, the only truth I need you to to teach these people is the truth I've already given out of the Scriptures. The only truth then that you and I need, the only truth that we need to believe is the truth of Scriptures. We're not on a quest for truth. Truth's already been given to us. We don't have to decide what does truth look like today. Truth has already been given to us. The only truth that ought to come out, because it is the only truth that we believe down here, is the absolute truth of Scripture. This book. It's more dramatic when I have one in my hand. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Only this book. Only this book. And only its truth will come out of my heart my mouth. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It should be readily available. It should be the only truth that you hold on to. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you, there's the you again, but you shall what? Shall meditate on it day and night. You shall meditate on it day and night. Now, what is meditation? Meditation is not emptying yourself. Meditation is filling yourself with Scripture. That's the Christian understanding of meditation, that you begin to just to think on it. I'm going to borrow a food metaphor here. Maybe you've done this like me. You've made the incredibly good decision to buy a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts to be eaten over a week's time. Yeah, right? And three minutes into it, you've eaten six, you've consumed enough calories and sugar for a week, and you haven't even remembered a single bite. It's just gone. (laughs) That guy understands exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you. Everyone else in here is a liar. You, my sir. Meditation on Scripture is the complete opposite of eating a Krispy Kreme donut in that way. Meditation on Scripture is, I think it was Spurgeon, it could have been Luther who said, to meditate on Scripture is to find the beauty of every word. For he, he 
Oh, how can I get past he? Him satisfies. I want that. The longing. Yeah, I've longed. Soul. The meditation savors every word, goes in to every word, sees the depths of every word, draws the connection between that word and the next because you're not moving so quickly. You're like working your way through it and then you see for he satisfies and, and then you just begin to, to dwell on it and then to, to think through it. And then in meditation, it's almost like you go back to it and you remember like the taste of it lingers or the memory is pleasant of it. And so now I can stand here in 2021 and say, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. And like, I'm, I'm like transported back like a decade or so. And, I, and I'm, I'm there in front of my Bible reading, for he satisfies the longing soul. But because he does satisfy the longing soul, now when I say it, it's pleasant. It's beautiful. Because he did did satisfy the longing soul, mine. So to meditate then on scripture is to, is to see the beauty of every word, is to let every part of it come in. He says, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Day and night. Why day and night? Because the challenges of life will come at you day and night. Like Satan in the wilderness attacking Christ, the challenges of the enemy, the despairs of life, the, the difficulties of whatever season you're in, they will hit you in the morning and they won't stop till the evening. And in the day and the night, meditate on this scripture. Now, how do you do that? Yeah, I think a part of that is like a consistent time of reading every day. Uh, just taking out a, uh, whatever it is, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, and, and reading it and spending some time in it, meditating a bit on it. I think a part of that is, is, is having conversations with other people in your life, whether that's through an official thing uh, like that, that the church would offer or just in your own life where you're talking about scripture with other people. I think eventually then what that turns into is uh, making that if you want to meditate on scripture day and night, some of it then has to be like stuck up in here and in here so that it can come out. So that in that moment of frantic and worry, Isaiah 26, three through four, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord your God for he is an everlasting rock is what comes out instead of worry. And when despair does begin to settle in, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Comes out. That when you're prone to selfishness, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, don't be selfish. I won't even go through the rest of the verse. That covered it. Begins to come out. That if you wonder if he loves you, if he still does, because of what you did. Zephaniah 3.17, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will sing over you with joyful songs, with his love. He will calm all your fears. 
Yeah, he still does. Yeah, he does. He says, meditate on it day and night. Use it. Why? So that you, there it is again, may be careful. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So that you may be careful. So as I was studying this passage this week, I began to note in my mind all of the times that I used the word careful or all the times I used the statement, be careful. Now, most of you can probably conjecture already when I was using the statements, be careful, who are they in reference to? Reagan, yeah, right. Or kids. Be careful, be careful. And so at one particular moment this week, I was downstairs and I was on the elliptical and I'm, you know, ellipticaling away. And Reagan on her little tricycle just keeps getting closer and closer and closer. And I kept saying, be careful, Reagan. Be careful, Reagan. Be careful, Reagan. Be careful, Reagan. And eventually she got all the way up to the elliptical and then she turned the tricycle around and as she went to step off of it, the tricycle moved back a little bit and my elliptical came down and just smoked the tricycle. To which Reagan responded, be careful, daddy. (laughs) Burned an extra seven calories right in that minute. But here's what hit me. You only tell someone to be careful because you have a greater knowledge than they do. You tell someone to be careful Because you look at them and you go, I know what happens if you walk down this route. And here, your heavenly father, your loving God is saying, be careful. I know that scripture doesn't seem important to you. I know it seems like that truth can be erased. I know it's hard to forgive, to not let bitterness settle in. And God is saying, be careful, be careful, be careful. I know something you don't know. I know what happens if you walk down that road. Be careful. And we study actually the rest of the text, then we see that what's going on here is that it's Joshua being careful for himself, but it's also Joshua being careful for his household, and it's Joshua being careful for his nation, that there's something about being careful and obeying the scriptures that doesn't just affect you, it does affect the family, and it does affect the greater community. Be careful. He knows what you don't know. He's seen what you can't see. Be careful. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do, not just hear, but do. Not just hear the word of God, not just to know the word of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that knowledge puffs up. If we just get a bunch of knowledge, if we just know, but we don't do, then we're just puffed up, conceited, and arrogant. 
but to do, to know and to do. Or to borrow the metaphor I used a couple of weeks ago, that, that what you believe informs what you do, which informs what your purpose is, and it's a straight line, and that's integrity. When, when believing informs doing, which informs your purpose. So you may be careful to do, not just hear. And for some of you this morning, the only instruction you've been with me every other place is just start doing it. Because you know it. And you've heard it. And then you've dismissed it. And then you've heard it again. And then you've dismissed it again. And then you've heard it again. And then you've come up with an excuse. And just do it. So you may be careful to do according to all, all of it, beginning to end, to all that is written. That is written. This is one of the most encouraging parts of it. All that is written. Because the written is true there and the written is true now. That all that God needed us to know about life and godliness is written in that book. It's in there. All that God needed us to know about truth is in there. We don't have to go searching for truth. We don't have to wait for God to give us something else. It's all right there. It's written. He already gave it to us. This is known as the sufficiency of Scripture, that that Scripture is sufficient in and of itself to reveal to us everything that we need to know for life and godliness. You just got to go look for it. You just got to go meditate on it. You just got to let it come in so that it might come out. So then you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, for then, after that, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Awesome. That's the result of all of this. Another translation says, uh, then you'll make wise decisions. That That in the moments of life then when you need it, it'll trigger and it'll come out. When I go on a long hike and I'm, you know, halfway through the hike and I'm exhausted, here's what I don't have to do in the middle of the hike. I don't have to like walk through the hike, like touch my love handle and say, steak that I ate last night, be activated. I don't have to do that. Like when I'm running out of energy, The body just takes from its storehouses and gives me energy. And I don't have to tell it to. It's great. The soul works this way, friend. That when you have meditated on Scripture day and night, when you've been careful to do according to all that is written in it, when you've known it, when you've when you've uh, when when, it, when it's come through your mind, when it's settled in your heart, then when you need it, it will. It'll come out. And so when you're struggling, trying to understand, God, you made a promise and I don't see it. Psalm twelve six, the Lord's promises are pure like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. When you're at work and when you're at home and somebody says something to you and you're about to raise it three octaves because they need to know who you are, a soft answer turns away wrath. But harsh words stir up anger. And you lower it. When it's down here, 
out of the mouth, the heart, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It'll come out when you need it. How do you get there? You meditate on it day and night. And back to where we started. Jesus is looking at Satan. He says, yeah, you're not going to fool me into chasing something I ought not to chase. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But then Jesus picks up on this bread metaphor throughout the rest of the scriptures. And you ever wonder why there's so many stories on bread in the scripture? There's a lot of them. There's a famous one. Sometimes it gets really twisted on what it's about. There's a famous one where there's a lot of hungry people, really hungry people, and they've been listening to Jesus teach. And they come up to him and they say, hey, these guys are really hungry. They need to go. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. They said, we can't do that. That'd be a lot of money. They said, but this one guy, he's got a couple loaves of bread and some fish. He said, okay, cool. Go get them. And Jesus takes the bread and he multiplies it over and over and they pass all of the bread out to thousands. And you know what's left over at the end? More bread. You know why? Because the point of the whole story of what Jesus was doing here as you follow his metaphor throughout the scripture is that Jesus was saying, there is always more of my teaching and my truth and my gospel for you to consume. There's enough of it for everybody. No matter how hungry their soul is, he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. No matter how hungry your soul is, he has the proper bread, the proper teaching that will satisfy your soul. And there is enough of it for anyone and everyone. And it will never, it will never lose its good taste. This even connects us back to the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were hungry, God sent them manna, but then the manna would expire and God would send them again. And it was a foreshadowing of a day when there would be a bread that would always satisfy. And so the metaphor keeps following and Jesus shows them this, that there will always be more of my teaching, more of my teaching. But then right before the end of his life, Jesus like shifts the metaphor again. And what does he do? He picks up a piece of bread. And he fulfills the metaphor. And what does he say? I am. He is the bread of life. He's the bread of life. What's going on in that moment? Jesus is taking Joshua 1.8, and he's not nullifying it. He's giving it a bigger meaning, a more beautiful meaning. Should we dwell on the scriptures, read the scriptures, know the scriptures, delight in the scriptures? Yes, 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 yes. I don't know how many more questions there were. Yes, one more. All of those things. But what we ultimately have to do is we have to see that all the scriptures we're doing, we're pointing to something that is even bigger. Him. That in the end, we read Joshua 1.8 and we see its fulfillment that Christ and his teaching and who he is shall never depart from our mouth, that nothing ought to come out of me, that I ought not to do anything that doesn't come from a heart that is just full of Jesus, full of his love and full of his grace. 
And that I should meditate on Jesus and I should think about Jesus and I should dwell on Jesus and I should uh, savor Jesus and I should go back to the cross and remember the beauty of that moment and what it ought not to do is just slip through me where it has no effect and I don't savor it. What I ought to do is go back because this is what communion was about where you just savor the moment again. What he did. And that as you savor that, and as it goes deeper and you just meditate on Jesus, on Jesus, on Jesus, then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. And all that means is you'll live the life that is truly life. And it's not getting after circumstances. It's getting after an inward position of the heart that says no matter what happens, the gospel will come into me and change me, and the gospel will come out of me. And that is true success. And it happens when you savor Jesus. You meditate on Jesus. You dwell often on Jesus. And where do you learn all this stuff about Jesus? In his book. So read it and memorize it and savor it and let it come out of you because when it does, it's properly understood, it's just Jesus. Let's pray. So we just take a second to savor the cross, Lord. where you finished the work of our salvation. It, it, the entire work of our salvation, the fulfillment of history, the freedom of our souls is is right then in that moment, not contingent upon our future obedience or our own religious good senses. No, is, it was then, right then and there, finished. These were your words. It is finished. We savor all of them. Completed, done, no more. Those are three beautiful words that were written and spoken, Lord. Thank you. Father, I pray that your scriptures pointing to you always would sink deeper and deeper into our hearts. For out of the heart, the mouth speaks. For out of the heart, then we live. Root out what ought not to be there. Replace it with what ought to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.